On today's episode, we are talking about the different causes for heartburn and things you can do about it. You might be surprised to find that there are many underlying reasons why you might experience heartburn, acid reflux, GERD. And so today we talk about structural issues, functional issues, and immunological issues. So if you liked the show, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share it out. Live your life within the moment, moment. And don't go wait until the morning, morning. You never know when it is over, over. All that I know is it over. Happy hump day. Yes, happy Wednesday. I cannot believe we are nearing December. And we it's are... 2024. I know. I told my husband, I was like, I can't believe it's the holidays. Like, we're... We're talking about Christmas presents for the kids and all the holiday things, and it's just crazy to me. We talked about sledding. Mm-hmm. We got that I sled s- from Costco. It was like $17.99. I'm so pumped to use it. It's huge. I need to get snow pants is what I need to get, mm-hmm. like adult snow pants. I think I still have mine from college. Yeah, I don't. So that's probably something I should purchase this year. And I layer like two underneath, so I have like the warm leggings and then sweatpants over them mm-hmm. totally already rocked that yesterday art was like wh- why are you wearing college sweatpants and i was like listen it was really cold all i was doing was taking marcus to the community center for his ninjas and then we went <laughs> shopping after which by the way i don't recommend shopping at dd's Dee discount <laughs> i don't even know what that is well i didn't either until so we went to uh we were doing like the gifts for school. So like the operation Christmas child and, um, one of our neighbors was doing like the girl scout. Yeah. Whatever. So I'm like, let's go to the dollar tree because dollar tree has some legit stuff. Yeah. And, um, then we get there and they're not accepting card. They're only accepting cash. So it's like, well, we have one hour because <laughs> we need to go home and make dinner. And this is due in the morning. Leave it to me last night. I, they honestly didn't give us like a deadline. That's, so they sent a note yesterday and I was like, crap. So anyways, Dee Dee's discount is where we went. We actually found some really cute. We got this kid like all Spider-Man stuff, but it was just an interesting experience. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of Amazon shopping. We're hosting Thanksgiving. And so it's not, obviously it's now it's after Thanksgiving when you're listening to this, but I was like, well, I need a tablecloth and I need centerpieces mm-hmm. and I need lots of things that I don't need, but I'm going to buy them anyways. So Roasting is like an excuse. It's just so now I have a bunch of these like little turkey centerpieces that hold tea lights. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we had tea lights, but I didn't want to spend forever looking for them. So I bought those too. Um, So yeah, I'm excited though. It'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be a day. Uh, Lots and lots of cooking. And, but I like doing that. So um, I'm just attempting to make an apple pie. Yeah. I think I'm going to make it apple caramel. Caramel mm. apple pies. I mean, it's going to be way better. Yeah. But I have gluten-free pie crust pre-made that I've had for a very long time. Mm. I mean, they've been frozen, so they yeah, don't expire, fine. right? And so I'm like, I got to do something with these eventually. Mm-hmm. So Marcus was like, we should make a peanut butter pie yes. or ice cream pie. And I'm like, yeah, maybe for Christmas, but yeah. But the I, reality uh, is I have it in my mind and it may or may not happen. We... I was explaining to Nick everything that like we're making and he's like, so what is all on the menu? And so I was explaining it to him and he was like, no mushrooms. And I was like, okay, first of all, mushrooms are not a very common Thanksgiving dish. And second of all, I've been to like seven stores and I do not want to go to another store to make you mushrooms. What is he to do with mushrooms? He likes mushrooms. I mean, I like mushrooms too. I like mushrooms too, but But on Thanksgiving? I don't know. I guess it's like a thing. I, if I remember correctly, maybe when we have Thanksgiving with his family, they make mushrooms. So now I am making mushrooms too. So I'm making sweet potato casserole, mashed potatoes with brown butter, corn souffle, mushrooms, and then Nick's deep frying the turkey, which we bought like a four gallon thing of peanut oil. Mm-hmm. And he's been watching lots of videos. I, if I were to trust anyone, I trust my husband with this. Yeah. I don't know if I trust other, ma- I don't know. I just, I trust my husband with stuff like this. He's very good at researching things. He's very good at like figuring things out. Deep fried turkeys are delicious. I heard they are. So I am very excited about it. Um, But it should be interesting because they said to figure out how much oil you need, you have to put the turkey into the thing and then fill it with water first, like when it's still in the packaging Mm -hmm, and stuff. mm -hmm. 
and fill it with water to see like how much water, how much water or oil you need for it to be fully submerged. And it's like well past the max fill line when you take the turkey out. So I was like, we're just going to go to the max fill line because I don't know what else to do. Hopefully, so hopefully. hopefully we don't die. Um, and I told him, I was like, listen, if you F it up, I don't care as long as you do not hurt yourself, anyone else, or burn our house down. Mm-hmm. Really, honestly, like we will have so much other food. I have chicken tenders in the freezer. We'll be fine. <laughs> Those chicken tenders that I got from Costco are really good. Yeah, except my kids don't like them. Really? Yes. I was like, what is wrong with you? These are delicious. Mm-hmm. I'm forgetting the brand. We just it's real them. good. Real good. Yeah, yep. we just had them last night. Yeah, so and I bought those because, you know, like they're slightly healthier. And I've been also making different dishes for my children to get them to eat new things. Well, don't worry, because my idea of these croissants with cream cheese and cheddar and broccoli turned into, I don't want that broccoli on it. And then two days later, friends come over and we made homemade lasagna. I made homemade pull apart garlic bread, which was phenomenal. And the baby likes broccoli. So I steamed some broccoli and then all of a sudden, Marcus likes broccoli. I'm like... Okay, because then I ate all those croissants. They were so good. I'm sure. we. So I made like a taco casserole for them and I crumbled Doritos on top because I was like, sure, crumbled Doritos, they'll eat it. And Carson likes it, but he like in his mind still tells himself that he shouldn't like it because it's like not one of his seven staple foods. And so he's eating it and he's like, I do like it, but then he's making these faces. And then I made them spaghetti last night, like a, you know, gluten-free spaghetti marinara sauce mm-hmm. i even for carson because he doesn't like meatballs i cut up like chicken tenders and put some mozzarella on it like a chicken parmesan and he ate some of it but he does that like mm, i i like this mom but like making the face and not actually eating it and then taylor's like i don't like this i want the chicken nuggets when she's pointing at like the meatballs so at least she ate all the meatballs because she likes meatballs but it's just it is such a task and i'm like continuing and also i look on pinterest look up easy fun dinners that you know healthy dinners for kids people got things i'm sorry you show me what toddlers are eating this like full-blown vegetables and broiled chicken like balsamic reduct like all this crap and i'm like no children are eating this this is ridiculous and this is very unhelpful i need something that has crumbled doritos on top that's what i need for my children like (laughs) i try so hard but then i don't want to waste all this food Um, that's why it's just like, I just basically say like, you get what we get or this is your backup. And I still don't understand why my child loves peas and carrots. Like it's disgusting the amount of peas and carrots that he will eat. I don't like, I guess I'm just happy that you're eating these things, but I just, I want to gag. I know. I get it. Anyways. So we are here to talk about heartburn today because, oh boy, so many people we know coming in with heartburn and years and years, maybe like. I think the highest that I have in terms of my clients is 21 years of being on a proton pump inhibitor. Yeah. And it's absolutely just sad because there's so many downstream effects and side effects of being on a proton pump inhibitor. And so, you know, before we kind of dive into this, first, let me just say, if you are on a proton pump inhibitor, we don't want this to be, you know, making you feel bad by any means. Like there's a lot in here that we're going to talk about in terms of maybe some light bulbs that will help you understand why this happens and why this occurs, because there's a lot more than people talk about a lot more, even than just low stomach acid, a lot more than just H. pylori, um, which is a common bacterial infection that can happen in the stomach. And so We're going to give you guys some tips today too. Like if this is you, what are some things that you can do, whether or not you are on a proton pump inhibitor or not. Um, And then maybe also give you some education that you can utilize going forward. If you are somebody who wants to talk with your doctor about weaning off of your PPI and things like that. So let's get into it. So when we think about heartburn, this is what we would call upper GI issues um, or dyspepsia, right? So this is going to be, think about when you're swallowing, You have your esophagus that kind of goes down like through your chest in between your breast. Um, And that contains something called your LES. This is your lower esophageal sphincter, which is kind of the gateway into the stomach. And that should close and shut off so that food and acid and other things don't come back up. But a lot of times people will get either silent reflex, heartburn, GERD, um, as you know, kind of a recurrent pain in uncomfortableness, right in uh, the esophagus, typically because of 
like low stomach acid. And so if there's not enough stomach acid, that's not going to close off that lower esophageal sphincter. Or you are eating too quickly, you're eating too much, the stomach is trying to churn and break down this food, and then that's creating pressure on that lower esophageal sphincter. Um, and so that can cause it to open up. And then, um, you know, you're feeling that acid backing up um, or food backing up. So you could even have things like regurgitation where food is physically coming up. Um, you might feel also very full very quickly. Uh, you may feel bloated. You may feel gassy. You may feel distended. Um, and it could be you know episodic too. It doesn't have to be every single time that you eat or concurrent, um, but it can be, you know, things that just kind of happen intermittently. And we'll talk about why, because there's a few things that can cause that intermittent discomfort. Um, and so, you know, again, we're just going to differentiate here. Heartburn is going to be that burning sensation between your breastbones and reflux is going to be food coming up with or without that burning. So this can also be called LPR silent reflux. And many people who have to be on these antacid medications or proton pump inhibitors, um, you know, this is something that we think about long-term health consequences in terms of nutri nutrient deficiencies and depletions, lowering or suppressing stomach acid. This is important uh, because stomach acid is very protective. It helps you break down, digest, absorb your food, and it also helps um, prevent bacteria from overgrowing in places that it shouldn't, such as the stomach and small intestine. And so outside of these things, you can have other symptoms or other sensations that we want to talk about too. Lump in your throat, right? Things that are stuck. Um, you feel like that food is stuck. So ever think about like if you've swallowed a horse pill, I call it, or like the fish oil pill and it gets stuck. It's so uncomfortable. It's so painful. This can happen um, a lot. Again, if your esophagus is too tight, it's swollen. Um, so we'll talk about that too, what that can be. You can also experience things like post-nasal drip, constantly clearing your throat, a bitter taste in your mouth, or nausea and low appetite. So all of those would be signs of low stomach acid in most cases. Very, very, very rarely is it going to be too much, actual physically too much stomach mm -hmm. acid. Yeah. So like Liz was saying, that, and we've done a three-part series on stomach acid, which we highly recommend going and listening to. It's really informational and I think really eye-opening. Um, but it's important for our stomach acid to be acidic. Like it is one of the most important kind of aspects of health within the body because that acidity helps to break down and digest and absorb your food better. And it also kills things. So it can kill bacteria. It can kill viruses. It can kill infections, you know, foodborne illnesses, things like that. And so PPIs work by lowering the acidity level. And so then when you have that stomach acid coming back up into your esophagus, you don't feel the negative effects from it because it's not as acidic. It's not as, you don't feel it. It's not that it's not happening. You just don't feel the pain from it. And so it also then in turn becomes less of a barrier. It, it Like Liz was saying, it, you, you end up with nutrient deficiencies because you're not breaking your food down as well. You end up with more infections or more bacterial overgrowths because you don't have that protective aspect of the acid. And the acid is important. So that's one of the downsides of PPIs is that they really do, that's how they work is they lower the acidity level. And like we said, it's not typically about the acidity level. It's about dysfunction within the gut that's causing the acid reflux. So, or, you know, the, the heartburn or the acid reflux. So long-term, what can happen is you can develop something called dysphagia, which is essentially trouble swallowing. You can develop Barrett's esophagus or changes in the types of cells in the esophagus, and that can be cancerous actually. Um, and this is something that, you know, ulcers and high uh, levels of H. pylori infections can actually cause stomach cancer. Um, frequent sinus and ear infections are always feeling kind of plugged up. And that can be also because when food is refluxing upward, bacteria comes with that. And mucus and bacteria will travel to your tubes and your sinuses. Bacteria will travel and it will travel within the mucus. Mucus helps trap bacteria. That's also why antihistamines long-term with like allergies are not good because they dry out your entire mucus layer. Um, asthma or pneumonia, when food particle can get into the lungs. So oftentimes they call people that have heartburn, they have an atopic triad. 
They typically also have allergies. They also have sinus issues. They have skin issues or rashes, and they have ear issues. And they have a lot of things, these things that go on and then ultimately develop asthma. So like we talk about, all comes back to the gut, all come yeah. back to the stomach acid. And we know that it's really uncomfortable. If you've ever experienced heartburn, it's horrible, right? And so yeah. you got to do what you got to do in certain situations. Um, but when you're going through something that is persistent, this is again where we're really going to say it's important to get to the underlying root cause. And you might be sitting here thinking like, wow, this makes a lot of sense for me because maybe I don't have heartburn or acid reflux. I have a lot of the other things they're talking about. I have allergies. I have sinus issues. I have skin issues. And I, you know, clear my throat a lot or, you know, have trouble swallowing sometimes or things like that. So let's talk about the main causes. And we're going to break this down into functional issues, structural issues, and immunological issues. Because again, I think there's a lot of information here that many people don't realize. They just think, Heartburn, give me some Tums. Yep. Right? Which, by the way, just a clinical pearl here. If you are somebody who um, has intermittent heartburn or you travel, um, you can always take something called DGL chewables. That's uh, deglycerized licorice, and that can help on contact. Or you can use one quarter of a teaspoon baking soda with a little bit of water. Slam that down. That's going to neutralize it. We also, also use the same. Tums are really bad for your liver. Tums are just. They're bad for a lot of things. A lot of things. And they're also disgusting. Yeah, I've not, unfortunately, knock on wood, never dealt with acid other than like late on pregnancy, obviously. Um, very late in my pregnancy where things yeah, were just getting a pregnancy. little pushed up. It was you my know. third pregnancy. Mm. I never had it with Carson, but I had it with Taylor. I've gotten it twice when we've uh, been on trips and had a lot of margaritas. Because we're in Mexico, we're like <laughs> all inclusive resort. So I like the skinny mojitos or skinny margaritas, and it's that's just a lot it's of a lime, mm-hmm. right? much more acidic. Yeah, much more acidic. So learned my lesson and won't be doing that again. Um, I also won't be leaving without DGL chewables if I'm going to have those. I remember we were with our friends. There was eight of us, and one of the days, like I was so miserable, like I just wanted to sit and like drink water or like the creamy stuff. Like I just wanted like anything that would calm that down. We were um, at a really, really nice resort. And so we had like our own private rooftop pool with, you know, other people that were staying in like the preferred suites. So I was asking everybody, I'm like, do you have any Tom's Pepsi? Cause they didn't have any on the resort in uh, the gift shop, which was crazy. I yeah. can't believe that. But there was a really nice couple and he's like, I got you girl. So he went down to his room and brought me home. I'm like, oh my God, you're a lifesaver. Cause I was terrible. I don't, I get more the pressure. I don't get the like burning. I'll get the, if I do get it and it's yeah. usually cause I ate too much for whatever, you know, situation. Well, so eating too much. And then yep. also in that event, um, for me with having alcohol and it was like a triple whammy yeah. and all the citrus. So anyways, main causes. Number one is functional. Hey, overeating, right? This stretches out your stomach and that will, um, you know, put pressure on that lower esophageal sphincter and also train it to stretch out. Um, and that will lose cause it to lose elasticity over time. Eating too close to bedtime and then lying down. Eating too quickly, not chewing your food well enough, um, and swallowing air. So you may find that you're distracted at work, you're inhaling your food, you're rushing between meetings, and all of a sudden you get that pain right in between your breastbone. You know, that that the pressure there. And sometimes it's relieved by belching because that can be like air in there or immediately following you are like, oh my gosh, I definitely overdid it. I'm so full. And then now I'm starting to get really bloated because you didn't chew your food well enough. And so when we think about all of the chemical process that, processes that have to happen with digestion, first it starts in your brain. The brain is you know, signaling your saliva to produce different digestive enzymes that are going to help you start breaking down your food while you're chewing it within your mouth. Um, and then you swallow that and then the stomach acid was released, pancreatic enzymes are released, other gastric juices and bile and things like that to really chemically break that down. But it's a lot harder if you have large particles of food. It takes a lot longer, right? Kind of my analogy, and I know you guys have probably heard this before, but if you think about frozen fruit, frozen vegetables in a blender, no juice, no water, that's not going to be a a nice smoothie. That's not going to be enjoyable. And you're probably going to burn out the motor pretty quick, right? So that's really where it comes down to get into a rest and digest state, try to take a couple deep breaths before your food, chew your food well, and, and just slow things down. Or if you can't, then do easy to digest foods like a soup 
or a smoothie, right? Instead of like a steak or a salad that you need to like chew, 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 right? Um, the second thing here with functional uh, causes would be again, low stomach acid. And so this can be due to taking the antacid medications or chronic stress. Again, you're constantly in that fight or flight mode. You're never you know, getting into rest and digest. Fight or flight shuts down digestion. Your body, when it feels like it's being chased by a bear, is not concerned about you digesting the food that you just ate. It's concerned about many other processes as terms of like protective mechanisms, um, heart racing, blood pumping, those types of things. So when we think about living in a chronic state of stress, digestion is never prioritized. That leads to low stomach acid in and of itself because the body is not producing, it's not focused on producing that gastric juice, right? And so we know that we need that acid, as I mentioned earlier, to trigger the sphincter, the lower esophageal sphincter to close and prevent things from flexing upward. Yep. And also you just naturally decline with age. So stomach acid gets lower as we age and it needs to be a bigger focus for a lot of people. Um, to help, obviously. Which really is like another mechanism that I want to ask God. Like, why did you design this that way? That doesn't make sense. Menopause and stomach acid decline. Those are my two big ones. I just, I don't understand the design. I somewhat understand the menopause in terms of not having children really late into your life. I do, I do get Mm -hmm. that. But all the things that had to happen along, like Like the process. Yes. Why can't it just be Age 51 is the cutoff or something, you know, and it's like, yeah, because I, right now I've got a client. Oh man, we, we've got no more eggs. They're just gone. They're gone. But you know, it's like when you're trying to time a Dutch test, right. Too. Like I have a gal right now, if Allie's listening, I love you girl, because (laughs) it's been months that we've been trying to find ovulation. She's like messaged me the other day, you know, found ovulation. And so I'm sending her like these emojis and memes. And she's like, these are such weird messages, but we've worked together for a really long time. So it's, it's all good. She's supposed to take her Dutch test. Tomorrow, she got her period yesterday. No. And I'm like, God, what is going on? Because her periods are just all over the place. So, yeah, I definitely agree. Like, there just needs to be like a cutoff date. Like, mm-hmm. and then everybody knows, like, okay, after age 51, like, maybe don't have a baby at age 62, like the lady in Naperville did, because that's just wild. Uh, yeah. I just, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, um, so autoimmune conditions can also cause some of this. Uh, so you can have something called atrophic gastritis, which is basically chronic inflammation or thinning of your stomach lining. Um, and the cells in your stomach lining mimic intestinal cells. So one type is environmental. It's called environmental metaplastic atrophic gastritis. And it occurs when factors cause chronic inflammation or obviously with autoimmune conditions, you'll have chronic inflammation if it's not managed. So we sometimes we'll see this... Uh, People with Hashimoto's uh, can experience this. Older people can experience this as well. We'll dive into it a little bit more below. Um, My sister-in-law has scleroderma, which is a hardening of your organs. And she basically has a hardening of her esophagus. Um, And her acid refluxes, like they're performing surgery on it to Mm -hmm. basically pull up stomach lining Mm -hmm. to help line the esophageal sphincter or the esophagus more because her esophageal sphincter has basically eroded away. Um, And so hers is a situation where like, it's not too little stomach acid. Like her esophagus is so acidic um, that it's so painful. Uh, So horrible, horrible situation. I feel so bad. It's insane. Um, Having SIBO, SIBO equals chronically low stomach acid in a lot of situations. And it allows that overgrowth of bacteria to overgrow downstream, which is like, essentially you could say that low stomach acid allows for the development of SIBO essentially. So then you have gas being produced, you have fermentation of food that is too large and should not be getting into the later parts of the GI system. And that gas pushes upward on the valves of the stomach. It pushes up into your stomach, causes food upward into that LES, um, food sensitivities. Uh, Again, this one can be related a little bit more to the immunological aspect that we'll talk about because if you have chronic food sensitivities, sensitivities that aren't being addressed. Um, essentially you're, you're having chronic immune stimulation, uh, liver gallbladder. So if your liver gallbladder are not functioning properly, you can, or if you've had chronic constipation or SIBO, those are typically signs of liver gallbladder issues. Uh, birth control, 
will put a lot of stress on the liver gallbladder. You will get a lot of times pressure or discomfort under your rib cage, especially after fatty meals, or you sometimes will get diarrhea because you're not absorbing and digesting fats very well. Um, and that's usually more of an indication of a bile issue. So bile is needed to break down and emulsify and digest fats. And without it, the body's going to struggle with fats and can have reflux, but this is known as bile reflux. Bile is how I kind of explain it is basically the car transport to bacteria and toxins to help get it out of the body. So if you have liver gallbladder issues and you're not basically creating enough bile, you're also not going to be able to get rid of bacteria, to get rid of toxins. Um, I see a lot of people that have liver gallbladder issues have chronic constipation. Yeah. Really common. I think that they are two organs that are even more important than people realize. Oh gosh. Yeah. In terms of constipation and mm -hmm. diarrhea too. I mean, yeah. you know, and when we think about again, chronic stress, we think about poor diet, all of these things that we're exposed to in our environment, like that places a lot of pressure on your liver to have to detoxify these things. And then we start dealing with, um, you know, bile issues and you're not having bile. Actually, one of the jobs of bile is to kind of sterilize the small intestine that can help prevent SIBO. It also helps remove um, toxins from the body, cholesterol from the body, estrogens from the body. And so you could just see a lot of things, um, you know, kind of go haywire when the, the liver and the gallbladder aren't functioning well. And then of course we have chronic gut inflammation, right? And again, like Becca was saying, like if you have these food reactions and you are consistently, you know, consuming these things because you could be eating a very clean, nourishing diet and your immune system doesn't see it that way. And so it's not your fault, right? Uh, or on the flip side of this, you could be eating things that you don't believe uh, are an issue for you. I hear it a lot in terms of like, oh, gluten's not an issue for me. Well, give, mm -hmm. it, give it like 30 to 60 days without gluten. And then we can talk about, you know, maybe it really isn't. And hopefully- A lot of foods. A lot of foods, right? But hopefully it's not. Um, but it's also here in the United States, it's not just the gluten, it's the glyphosate. Like if you were to go to Italy and you were to eat gluten over there, man, I felt great. And the folk acid, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just- yeah. For all the, yeah, folic acid and, and um, fortification of our foods mm -hmm. here, painted on synthetic vitamins, all that stuff, right? So when we think about inflammation in the GI tract, this also can exa be exacerbated by having chronic constipation, by the way, um, again, because all that fermentation is happening. And then that fermentation is allowing other bacteria to continue to overgrow. And therefore you have this dysbiosis which is very inflammatory, um, and that triggers the immune system. And so when we're looking at the gut, we're looking at what level of dysbiosis do we have here? How leaky is the gut or how broken is the mucosal barrier and how much inflammation is present? And then what insufficiencies you know, are we having? Because part of this too can be your pancreas isn't doing the job that it needs to, and this is where a lot of bloating and gas can come from, just stomach pain, abdominal cramping, those things. Um, and so it, it's really trying to identify all things within the gut microbiome and not just paint on, well, I have heartburn or reflux, so I'll just take some Tums and that'll fix it. I got no other issues, just the heartburn. Oh no, there's lots of other issues. So let's talk structural. Yeah, so structural meaning more like the actual setup and physical aspects of it. So there's many things that can impact this. Um, having a tight diaphragm. So think about the muscle that you use for breathing. It's under the rib cage. And many people are shallow breathers because they are stressed all the time. So instead of breathing through your belly, through your abdomen, you breathe through your chest. So an easy way to tell if you are this person is lay down on your back, put your hand on your stomach, put your hand on your chest. When you breathe, which one goes up more? because it should be your stomach. A lot of times we'll also see this with people that are mouth breathers um, versus like nasal breathers. So having a tight diaphragm can be absolutely part of it. Uh, and it results in tight muscle and that can cause reflux for a lot of people. Uh, you can see an osteopath or a naturopath, someone that can manipulate the soft tissue in the diaphragm and can help to loosen it up. Um, I think manual and physical manipulation is huge for not only reflux, but for so many things in terms of health issues. Um, I think seeing a chiropractor regularly, a good chiropractor, right? Um, is somewhat, is pivotal in long-term health. Uh, we talked, we've talked about this before with, oh, Dr. 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 Kathy and Dr. Wolf, mm -hmm. the cardiologist, um, about how for like cardiac arrest mm -hmm. and cardiac issues, how a lot of times muscular is, is a huge contributor to it. Um, well, it's the vagus nerve. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. So you can see someone to help. Uh, misalignment in the spine. Shocker. Another thing that could be structurally helped. Uh, specifically in the mid-back. So the nerves and muscles coming out of the mid-spine feed into your digestive organs. And so any misalignment in the spines, muscles, discs can cause digestive problems, especially heartburn. And we talk about this a lot with bloating too. Like if you've ever had a low back injury, you probably feel bloated because everything is so close in that part of the body that inflammation in the low back will a lot of times will cause pressure and stress on the lower abdomen. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times people feel, I, I've had that personally, like oh, yeah. I've had some bad low back issues that. And constipation too, because mm -hmm. your nerves, you know, things just aren't firing. Yep. They're not communicating. Yep. Hiatal hernias. A lot of people get hurt. I, I've talked to so many people that have hernias. Um, then pain in the abdomen, unrelenting heartburn for people. Part of the stomach basically goes up into the diaphragm and the way that the muscle has been pushed up into the upper gut can result in heartburn. Um, so not usually treated unless really severe. Usually you'll get like a surgery to fix a hiatal hernia. Um, and then genetic. So there's something called Ehlers-Stanlos syndrome, uh, which is a connective tissue in the body dysfunction. And typically people who are really hyper flexible. So super flexible with joints. And while it's not necessarily bad, um, it can cause issues with the different structural components of the digestive system. And I, all the time, people that would come into the gym, I don't know if you guys dealt with this, but people that were like, well, I'm just really hypermobile. It's like, well, then you don't have stability in your joints. Mm -hmm. Like it's dangerous. Technically those people, when they would squat and they would get like to the floor, it's like, this is actually not super safe. Um, they just drop the bar off the back yep, yep. or like, let it go over there. Oh my God. The letting it go over their head. <laughs> I can't. What I hated about CrossFit, to be honest, is the dropping of the bars. Like people would do like the push press and then they hold it for a second and then they just like slam it oh, down. We would yell at people all the time. I would be like, we don't drop the bar unless it's like the top of a deadlift. And I know you guys don't feel the same that I do about that, but like a one rep max deadlift, I'm not going to lower the ball back down to the ground type thing. So you can't, you will in, in power lifting. Yeah. You, you, you'll fail if you don't lower the bar back down. But yeah, the CrossFit gym that I went to. God, they were the worst. And it was so funny because the Trish, you know, she would yeah. come with me and it would like scare her every time. She's like, what the F are these people doing? But also you are wasting so much money because you just destroy your equipment. Bumper plates. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Oh, they would crack. Crack. They would for they sure would crack. Just, like bent or broken, like whatever. And then you have like all these people in class. You can't find enough weights because like just stop dropping the bar. Anyways, um, so this can also lead to um, dysfunctional valves, okay? So we talked about the lower esophageal sphincter, right? Um, this actually can be commonly seen with people who have diabetes. They can have more issues with the lower esophageal uh, sphincter. Um, again, you can have damage from viruses or infections, specifically even like food poisoning, um, and then overeating to stretch things out um, and losing that elasticity over time. The second sphincter that you could have an issue with is your pyloric sphincter. And so this is at the bottom of the stomach and it governs the passage of food out of the stomach into the small intestine. So this is something where we think about the integrity too of all of the muscle and connective tissue throughout the GI tract. So we're basically one hollow mucousy tube from the nose to the tail, right? And yet people just put dumpster fire of ingredients into it and we expect it to run like a well-oiled machine. You know, like, I, listen, Buck and I have definitely been guilty of this too, but like all the fried foods, which can be a trigger, really like greasy mm -hmm. fried foods can be um, a trigger for inflammation, but also trigger for esophagus uh, issues. And then we think about alcohol and we think about all the pesticides and the herbicides and all the emulsifiers and just all the junk that's in our processed food. And we wonder why our body is like screaming at us, please give me a break here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, completely. So, so immunological issues. This is a big one. And I, and this affects obviously much more than just reflux and GERD mm -hmm. um, and heartburn. So what we know is that autoimmunity is on the rise. We are seeing more and more issues with allergies, asthma, symptoms that people can't seem to figure out the root cause. Like I don't, and maybe it's just the population we're exposed to, but even people that like I talk to that are, you know, our neighbors or something like everyone deals with something. Mm -hmm. Like when I start talking to the moms on our block or something like, oh, I have hair loss. I have, you know, oh, I, I have acid reflux for sure. I, I can't drink this. I can't eat that. Like, you know, oh, my stomach hurts all the time or it's just like everyone has something going on. Um, 
And they just talk it up like it's normal because yeah. unfortunately in our society, well, there's a Band-Aid for that, mm-hmm. right? Pop yeah. some Pepto-Bismol or Imodium or Tums or just like whatever it is or just don't eat or that food. Fix. Like We just like normalize too, like I can't eat these things. Well, there's a reason that you can't eat these things. It's not a food issue. It is a function issue. And so when you calm down the inflammation, you restore the integrity of the lining of the gut, you reverse a lot of these food reactions or food sensitivities or whatever you want to call it, even like intolerances, parasite cleansing. All of a sudden, I don't have eczema anymore. I don't have rosacea and I can eat dairy. Like one of my clients, she thought for sure dairy was just the thing that would make her break out, horrible acne, eczema. Yeah. We took care of all of her gut issues. Her skin is the clearest it's ever been. She eats dairy like it's going out of style and she feels great. So, Mm -hmm. you know, again, it's one of those things where awesome that you can do an elimination diet in certain times and places. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. It can be helpful and necessary, but it's not the answer. It's not the solution. Mm-hmm. So when we think about immunological issues, we think about first um, atrophic gastritis. So this is an autoimmune gastritis and it's where the body is attacking the cells that make stomach acid, the perineal cells. So obviously you're more likely to have heartburn. Hashimoto's and celiac conditions are also more prone to having heartburn or upper GI issues chronic gut infections, including H. pylori. H. pylori itself is not an autoimmune condition, but it is hard to treat. Um, And it can go undetected uh, if you don't have symptoms. For sure, a lot of people have some level of H. pylori. You know, what we're looking at is what level is it found? For example, if we run a GI map, what, what level is it found in the gut? And do we have positive virulence factors? Those can give us more information in terms of the genetic composition of the H. pylori because H. pylori is associated with gastritis, stomach ulcer, stomach cancer. And for many people, I mean, they have some level of it. The problem is when it overgrows and you become really symptomatic. And so there's other things besides heartburn, acid reflux. You can have nausea, you can have belching, you can have bloating, you can feel overly full, pain in your abdomen when your stomach is empty. Um, and so you might say, well, like, yeah, a lot of those associate with other things too. Yeah, they do. And so again, we're thinking about digestive issues north to south. If H. pylori is there and that is burrowing into the lining of the stomach and that's impacting your parietal cells or parietal cells, however you want to say it, and that's lowering your stomach acid. Now this, again, as we've said before, kind of just sets the stage. And so you can develop autoimmune reactivity in the gut. The next one is where we look at, um, eosinophilic esophagitis. Okay. And so this is where you have too many eosinophils. These are a type of white blood cells in your esophagus. I have a few clients with this. Um, and an MRT test is really important in these cases because your body is reacting to either an allergen or a food substance. Um, and therefore it's going to build up white blood cells in the esophagus leading to inflammation and damage. Okay. And so what can happen is if you're constantly eating things that you don't realize are a problem, is that you have a narrowing of the esophagus, difficulty swallowing, maybe chest pain or belly pain. You can have vomiting or again, that regurgitation or feel like food is getting stuck in your throat. So this is an allergic condition um, that occurs when the immune system again, produces the white blood cells, these um, eosinophils in response to an allergen. And this can become, we were just talking about this offline before we recorded, this can become more of an issue in certain seasons, especially with seasonal allergies, because you're, you know, breathing things in, you're swallowing it, it's going into the esophagus, right? That's going to cause inflammation. Um, and therefore it's, things aren't going to contract appropriately. So again, what we want to think about is if these things are chronic, what are the long-term side effects and how can we do our best to calm it down? Sometimes there are medications that are used in this case that are not just PPIs, um, immunological medications, and, and those can be helpful. But I would definitely recommend one, an MRT test um, to remove foods that you're reactive to while you work on soothing the upper GI and then address seasonal allergies. And a lot of these seasonal allergies come from dysbiosis and imbalances in the gut microbiome. And we'll talk about that too. Yep. So- how can we heal? How can we heal from heartburn? And like we've said, do not feel bad if you're using PPIs or over-the-counter acid reducers. You have to do what you have to do in the moment, and we get that. But there are a lot better ways than PPIs, especially long-term, because they do suppress the stomach acid. They make it less acidic, which is important. It's prevent. It's protective to the rest of the body. 
So we can talk about balancing the gut microbiome because when we do that, we support a healthy, balanced immune system because 70% of the immune system resides within the gut. And thus, you are less likely to have allergies and white blood cell reactions and all of those things. So these are the main things that we do with heartburn. Number one is balancing stomach acid levels. Obviously, doctors will tell you that your acid reflux or your heartburn or your GERD or whatever it is, is high stomach acid. But 90 plus percent of situations, it is actually that there is low stomach acid. There is not enough stomach acid to trigger the tightening of that sphincter. Food, acid, all those things then reflux, reflux upwards. So digestion and barrier to protect bacteria from growing where it is not supposed to in the stomach and the small intestine, you need that stomach acid for those things. So if you are on a PPI, a lot of times what we will do with people, we slowly wean them off. Obviously talk to your doctor too, but we advise working with a practitioner because we need to focus on not only helping to improve stomach acid level, but healing the upper GI that has been damaged. That esophagus is going to be damaged. It's going to have sometimes scar tissue. It's going to have inflammation. You need to manage those things because when you come off of a PPI, what happens a lot of times is it's basically like a launch in the opposite direction. So now you're going to have worse heartburn than you've ever had before if you just stop at cold turkey. And I think anyone that's done that with a PPI is going to know that. They've, they've probably experienced that. So we need to not only soothe that upper GI, but we need to soothe the co- stomach and coating. And it, we use things like slippery elm aloe vera, marshmallow root to help reduce the acid for a period of time. So one thing we love, like Liz mentioned, on contact is DGL chewables. You can get them for like $15 on Amazon. They're the German chocolate ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can take DGL, chew, I'm sorry, you can take a digestive enzyme that includes something called HCL or hydrochloric acid with every meal. And then you can stimulate stomach acid production and gastric juices with that. You can use things like bitters, that triggers digestive juices. You can use apple cider vinegar, which helps to increase the stomach acid levels. And you can use things like lemon water. Again, something a little bit more acidic that helps to increase those stomach acid juices to kind of start producing in proper amounts. Yeah. Lots of easy ways in nature. You know, a lot of things that um, God already designed for us that we don't have to be taking all of these, you know, prescriptions. And it's just something that people don't know. And I wish that doctors would initially talk with people about, hey, why don't you try some slippery elm tea? And long-term, that's not a solution, right? Because downstream, it can you know impact the colon and things like that when you're taking it too much for a long period of time. But like aloe vera gel, aloe vera juice, that's easy to do before meals. Um, apple cider vinegar, you know, all of those things, really helpful natural treatments. And instead we say, let's just put that PPI on. Now let's talk about stress management. So we talked initially about how this prolonged state of fight or flight really shuts down digestion. So this is really when we get into more like the nervous system regulation. I want to keep it real simple and applicable for you. I would challenge you for the next month to take three breaths before a meal. Just start to shift and signal that nervous system into that rest and digest where optimal digestion can happen. When you can bring digestion back online and optimize your body's ability to produce stomach acid, you are also going to notice that you have less bloating. You feel more nourished. One of my gals that just wrapped up with me, um, she's a physique competitor and we had our final call with her coach, her other, um, coach for competition. And she's like her body competition, uh, composition looks amazing. Well, she's nourished. Like she, she's eating more than ever. And she, she looks good. Her skin looks good. She, she's vibrant. So you'll probably notice a lot of other benefits. I have one of my other girls sending me pictures, like all these baby hairs growing in your hairs growing back, right? It's, it's really impactful when we're able to actually break down, digest and assimilate our nutrients. And then this also helps in terms of bloating. This is huge for bloating. If you're stuffing your face, you know, between meetings, you're talking to somebody, you're just like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, like eating, well, first of all, that's just poor eating um, etiquette, but a lot of people do it. We see a lot of people do it, right? You're talking with food in your mouth. Like I remember my mom would be like smacking my hand, like don't talk with food in your mouth, Um, (laughs) but you're not chewing your food thoroughly, right? You're not, you're eating distracted. You're looking at the TV, you're looking at your computer and I get it. Beck and I both are guilty of this at times, but at least what I do is put my fork down chew my food, try to be mindful of at least chewing my food well, and then, you know, kind of eat a little bit slower as I am doing other stuff. It's not an ideal situation, 
but sometimes that does have to happen. So the next thing would be balancing the gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is, I think you guys have learned from us a lot on the podcast, a big misstep when it comes to heartburn and reflex. Yep. The microbiome is basically your environment, your ecosystem of different bacteria and yeast and parasites and other viruses that live in your gut. And in our world, there are a lot of pesticides. There are a lot of herbicides, antibiotics, poor quality foods, stressed out, not sleeping, taking medications to get through the day, whether it's pain relievers, allergy medications, et cetera. You likely have an imbalance in your gut. And if you have chronic digestive problems, you deal with bloating, you deal with gas, you deal with motility issues, heartburn. Like, And I think a lot of people think it, of it as normal or like, I'm just fat. Like I had a client the other day after a couple of weeks in, she's like, I don't feel my stomach anymore. Like I, I, I was constantly aware of like my stomach and the pain and the, you know, bloating and distension. And, you know, I, she's like, I don't, I don't notice it. Like my stomach is, you know, it's there, it's a part of my body, but I think a lot of people don't realize the deciphering of it. Um, because we think it's like, well, I'm just fat. I'm just overweight. I just have a belly, you know? Um, I'm very aware when my stomach feels pain or distension versus not. Uh, And it's not like how tight my pants are that I'm wearing. Um, So if you deal with those things chronically, motility issues, constipation, you're not going to the bathroom, well, emptying all the way, those types of things, the odds are that you have some degree of dysbiosis. And the top causes of heartburn in terms of gut bacteria, like we already mentioned, are H. pylori because it kind of prohibits the stomach from developing proper levels of stomach acid and then SIBO. And those are types of bacteria that overgrow and cause essentially a different cascade of issues. And these can be caused by many things, including PPIs, antibiotic use, poor diet, chronic stress, abdominal surgery, you know, you not chewing your food properly. Um, And if you leave it unchecked and rely on meds to manage heartburn symptoms, you end up with leaky gut. You end up with more food sensitivities, inflammation, autoimmune, headaches, nutrient deficiencies, chronic fatigue, mood disorders, mental health disorders, allergies, rashes, eczema, histamine intolerances, weight gain, hormonal imbalances, all of those things because we don't manage the ecosystem that resides within the gut. And so it really does all kind of start with the gut. And it's not just about heartburn. It is about the immune system because like in the leaky gut situation, essentially what's supposed to happen is food should stay in the GI system. And when you don't have enough stomach acid and food doesn't break down all the way, and then you also have a breakdown of your mucosal lining, which should be kind of a protective tunnel that food and food particles and all of those things stay within other than nutrients Nutrients are the main things that should be able to get outside of the GI system into the bloodstream. But what happens is that food particles end up getting out because that that gut becomes leaky. It it has holes in it essentially. And so then these small food particles get out into the bloodstream and your body's like, whoa, that is not supposed to be here. I'm launching an immune attack. And then if that chronically happens, your body cannot create antibodies at the level that it needs to, so it starts miscopying antibodies and antigens. And that is how autoimmunity for a lot of people develops. And so it really is about that gut lining and that protection and then the immune system. So you can remove those, not with antibiotics. We talk about antibiotics are kind of like a a nuclear bomb we use herbs, natural herbs. They're a little bit more like snipers to get the bad guys. Um, you want to replace that population. I, I, I explain it a lot like a, a house fire. You can't go and repopulate or replace things in a house when it's still on fire. You need to put the fire out first. So that is removing the bad bacteria. That's removing food triggers. That's removing you know common inflammatory foods or common food allergens. And then once that's calmed down, then you can go and replace. You can go and repopulate digestive enzymes, bitters, gut repair supplements, supporting that mucosal barrier. We use things like L-glutamine, zinc L-carnosine, DGL, quercetin, anti-inflammatories, restoring balance, diversity of food. That is so huge in terms of diversity of fibers, pre and postbiotics, not just probiotics. There are only so many strains of probiotics on the market too. So you need to encourage as much fiber diversity as possible to diversify the strains on the gut, the flowers in the garden. We always say like that bodybuilder that's eating the same seven foods, the person that eats the same food every week because it's easy, you have gut issues. I can promise you. It is for sure. We call it basically like there's complete lack of diversity. Even if the foods you are eating are healthy, you only mm-hmm. eat 15 different foods. So there's no possible chance that you're getting the diversity of fibers that your gut needs to help 
thrive? I only have a small case study of three, but all of them. All bodybuilders? All of them. Oh, yeah. Had a ton of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Horrible SIBO in one case. Candida, parasites, H. pylori in another case. Heavy H. pylori in the third case. So like Monocolonization. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so anyways, what can you do about it today? Right. Great. That, you know, we're giving you all this information and there's a lot of ways that you can heal this naturally. And these are things that we do address, you know, individually, but here's some things that you can do right now. So first, if you know you're sensitive to something, stop eating it. Like (laughs) I know so many people who are like, yeah, I just really love that spicy queso, (laughs) but it wrecks me every time. Like, okay. I saw um, Biohacking Bombshell. She's a girl that we follow uh, on Instagram. She's a practitioner in the space. And she was basically talking about you know Thanksgiving this week and nobody else has to live with the consequences except for you. So mm-hmm. don't use the excuse that I felt bad for not partaking because you're going to be the one that pays the consequence, right? For the next 48 hours, hunched over in pain or whatever it might be. So cut it out, right? Calm things down. If you are reacting that is an immunological response, right? And that is inflammation. And so again, you may or may not know what you're responding to. Like in the case of the acinephylactic uh, esophagitis, this is where we're going to use like the MRT. Um, but I think it's also important to know like the IgG test, especially if you have leaky gut, it's just going to show everything that you're currently eating basically because your immune system is constantly on alert. So I don't think that's a great test um, to be doing. We want to address the leaky gut, balance the microbiome, support the immune system. And then all of those things you should be able to incorporate without issue. Again, it's not a food issue. It's a function issue. Now there are things that trigger the lower esophageal sphincter to loosen up. And that includes cinnamon, dark chocolate, caffeine, peppermint, tomatoes, onion, garlic, spicy foods, citrus foods, all the the, the delicious things basically. Um, And so know that it would be temporary and you could bring a lot of those things back. I think another thing to add on here is the devil's in the dose. So you may notice like I can have a piece of dark chocolate, but if you ate the whole bar of dark chocolate, then you're not so comfortable. And so sometimes it is devil in the dose. Mm-hmm. You can add in things like tea and honey. So there's been a couple different uh, research studies um, that show that these can protect against H. pylori. So one of the studies was done in 2015 in the Diagnostic Microbiology and Infectious Disease found that individuals who consumed either green or black tea with honey at least once a day for a week had a lower positivity rate for H. pylori compared to the control group. Green tea is loaded with polyphenols that fights oxidative stress and inflammation while also destroying pathogens. So that particularly can be effective against candida albicans, E. coli, staphylococcus, H. pylori, and other disease-causing bacteria. And then there was another research article from the Gastroenterology Research and Practice in 2017 that confirmed those findings and also found that eating yogurt more than five times a week may help protect against H. pylori or manage symptoms. Again, we think about yogurt, right? What is that? It's prebiotics. It's typically fermented. Mm -hmm. It's easy to digest and it's more of a cream based or a dairy based. So it can be kind of, you know, soothing. Yep. Low FODMAP temporarily. And we heavily emphasize temporarily. Again, we already talked about like monocolonization. You see, you follow the same diet and low FODMAP is not going to cure. It is going to help manage symptoms while you should work to then cure. So if someone, you went to someone and they just like put you on a low FODMAP diet and did nothing else, kind of a red flag. Um, but temporarily low FODMAP can reduce heartburn. It can reduce reflux, GERD, and that's because you restrict fermentable carbs in the diet, which results in less gas that's being produced in the stomach and the small intestines. And if you have more gas, that can create the pressure on the GI tract. So low FODMAP does not mean no FODMAP. So obviously experiment with it and work with a professional to guide you. You, again, may find like the accumulation effect. Devil is in the dose. Avoiding greasy foods, junk foods, processed foods, fries, onion rings, all of those delicious things, but that are deep fried and can be a very big trigger because it loosens up the LES. Avoid constipation at all costs. Like we talk about this a lot with our clients. Two things that I will supplement as much as necessary is constipation and sleep. I do not care what we are doing. If it works, we need to keep it working while we work on other things. Mm -hmm. It is such a huge deal because if you are not pooping, you are not excreting. You are not getting toxins out of the body. You are not detoxing. 
And it's a huge trigger for heartburn and reflux because of the pressure. Again, you're more likely to develop SIBO. Plus, it creates inflammation as things are just sitting there fermenting, growing unwanted bacteria. So you need to get bowels moving if you need to try cutting out gluten, magnesium glycinate, citrate, aloe vera juice, other herbs to support motility. A lot of times we'll use Elcor bowel mover, trifala. Uh, you know, you can do things. Um, Cleanse more is really yep, good. Cleanse more is a great modal pro. Like there's a lot of options that you can do uh, to make sure that you are pooping regularly. Yep. You got to be pooping. Yep. The other things would be to support your liver and your gallbladder, right? That's going to make a big impact on the constipation and your bowels as well. So again, bitter foods are great for this. An easy thing you can do every morning to stimulate digestion, lemon water, pinch of sea salt, even better, a little bit of apple cider vinegar. I'm going to be honest, you guys. I know it's so good for so many things, blood sugar, all that stuff. I have to dilute apple cider vinegar, or I just chug it down because I think it's taste terrible. Um, I wish it tastes better, but you can also do like stevia drops with it to make it taste a little bit better, but that would be great um, for stimulating uh, bile. Again, we need that to digest and absorb fats. It's also a barrier to prevent bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine, keeping it sterile. It also acts as a prokinetic to keep your bowels moving. So it kind of lubricates uh, the, the colon and the bowels. And this is where I would say if you're really struggling or you have had your gallbladder removed, especially if you've had your gallbladder removed, you need to be taking an ox bile supplement for life, every meal for life. Um, interesting facts. So liver gallbladder issues are more common in women who have used birth control are over the age of 40, have had chronic GI issues, have lost weight rapidly or have had their gallbladder removed. That shouldn't be a shocker. Um, but unfortunately, many doctors don't talk with women about, or men, uh, about what happens post you know, gallbladder removal. So you could always use supplements here, Oxbile, good digestive enzyme with Oxbile. I like Now Super Enzymes. I like Thorn Advanced Digestive Enzymes. Uh, the Now Super Enzymes has a little bit of betaine HCL to support stomach acid. So you could use that. And then last but not least here, address immune dysfunction. Everything that we do with our clients, it's not just gut health. It's not just hormones. It's not just meal plans. It's not just supplements. It's not just testing. It's addressing the immune system dysregulation. Um, and again, if you are somebody who has a lot of allergies, you have a family history of bad allergies or autoimmune disease, you've used a lot of antibiotics for whatever reason, you have a lot of anxiety, trauma, or you've experienced burnt out, burnout in life, um, or have had long-term gut issues all of these things are going to contribute to your immune system dysregulation. And again, you think it's an allergy issue. It's not. It's an immune system issue. So what does that do in terms of the cascade? We've already mentioned it before, but it can lead to things like migraines, chronic fatigue, hormonal imbalances, frequent infections or illnesses. When your body is so busy trying to create inflammation, it's not going to have energy to fight illnesses and infection. Sometimes we'll see, you know, people have had symptoms for a really long time and they go through a high stress time and all of a sudden then they just crash and they burn. That's the immune system that's just being depleted. It's wiped out. So this is what we do with our clients, right? It involves several steps. Um, and this is why we look at blood work first and foremost with symptoms. We're going to look at balancing the gut microbiome. We're going to work on stress, the nervous system. I think this is a big thing that we're coming into more and more is you can take all the supplements. If you don't manage your stress, you don't get you know, adequate sleep, like Becca was saying, you're not regulating your nervous system, you're really going to struggle to heal. And we may use adaptogens, um, different herbs to kind of help balance things out as well during periods of time. But we have to address nutrient deficiencies too. Like, does your body even have the ability to get balanced or is it depleted? And just to close us out, I pulled up and you guys can see this integrative um, therapeutics, their website. You can look at the drug nutrient interaction checker very easily. We know in what we do as functional practitioners that proton pump inhibitors and birth control are the top two medications that deplete nutrients in the body. Magnesium, there's been cases of severe magnesium deficiency in long-term use of proton pump inhibitors, vitamin C, calcium, vitamin B12, folate, all of these things. What do they impact? Vibrancy, hormones, energy, bone health, mineral balance, <laughs> the spark plugs to the body. And so you may think like, oh, it's just a proton pump inhibitor. It's just this tiny little pill that I take every day. It's only 10 or 40 milligrams. I've only been on it for a year, even though the pamphlet says I should only be on it for six to eight weeks at max. 
talk with your doctor. You got to get off of these things, get to the root cause, work with a functional practitioner. We get people off these things all the time and we restore balance to the microbiome. We restore balance to nutrient deficiencies in the body. So if that's you, feel free to click the link in the show notes and we can set up a time to chat. You can always do a free 15 minute consult with our team. We can kind of talk with you about what's going on. And in addition, I would say, if you know somebody who's on a proton pump inhibitor, you know somebody who's struggling with these symptoms, heartburn, acid reflux, GERD, trouble swallowing, please share this episode with them. People need this information. And unfortunately, there's just not a lot of it in the conventional medicine world. And there are root causes, as we talked about today, that never get touched upon. So Don't forget to share it out with a friend. We would greatly appreciate it. And with that, we'll wrap it up and we'll be back on Friday. 